Hi everyone, it's Joyce. I just wanted to say that I hope you're keeping safe, healthy, and hanging in there. Sending love your way and my thoughts are with you. Spend some time being silent. There's a lot of noise and a lot of distraction. And if you do that, then you're constantly looking, you're constantly looking for something external as opposed to the internal validation. And it's interesting because the domains of social media have set us up to play into those deep fundamental human nature needs, right? Those pulls of comparison or not doing enough, um, kind of the negative side of human behavior. So my advice would be to really be quiet and um, look outward less and inwards more. Hello, beauty. Yes, you. Join me, host Joyce Platon, as I chat with today's beauty, wellness, and lifestyle visionaries. Let's discover their motivating journey together as I merge my love for the art and my passion in revealing one's true inner beauty. Hey there, Joyce Platon here, and welcome to Hello Beauty. Today's special guest is Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. Dr. Lyon is a functional medicine physician specializing in the concept of muscle-centric medicine. She's a speaker and media contributor and has been a guest on The Doctors and written for Muscle and Fitness, Harper's Bazaar, Women's Health, and Men's Health. Welcome to Hello Beauty, Dr. Lyon. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to share with my listeners all your in-depth knowledge about health, wellness, and fitness. So I have been following you on Instagram and then your philosophy about making sure that you have the quality protein intake is very interesting. And I definitely want to share that with my listeners. So Great. talk to me about your you know, background as a functional doctor and also your philosophy about muscle-centric medicine. Yeah. So, well, let me tell you a little bit about the concept of muscle-centric medicine. So muscle-centric medicine is really shifting the paradigm. So right now, everybody talks about being over fat, weight loss, obesity, body fat. But really, while that is an organ, it's the organ of inflammation, the reality is we're actually just under-muscled. So it's not about being over fat. It truly is about being under-muscled. And I'm a traditionally trained physician. So I did um, my undergraduate in human nutrition, vitamin, mineral metabolism. Then I did medical school, two residencies. And interestingly, I did a fellowship at Washington University in obesity medicine and geriatrics. And that's really where the concept of muscle-centric medicine was born. Um, and right now I have a practice in New York City and it's a combination of the best of alternative medicine with the best of Western medicine. I know that you have so many like success stories, but before we get to that, what is a source of quality protein? Yeah. So first of all, we don't actually eat for quality protein. We actually eat for amino acids. And that's oh, something amazing. very interesting. Everybody thinks of protein as being the most important. And arguably, listen, it is the most important macronutrient. But the reason that we eat for protein is because we need those amino acids. Mm -hmm. So there are 20 amino acids. There are essential and non-essential amino acids. The essential amino acids are the amino acids that you must get from your diet. And when we talk about quality protein, it's really in particular the branch chain amino acids. I care about the branch chains, which are leucine, isoleucine, and valine, because those are often limiting in plant sources and lower quality protein. And the reason that you need leucine in particular is because it stimulates your muscle. 
So that is at the heart of why protein is so important. It's really about those limiting amino acids, and in particular, the branch chains. And out of those amino acids, it's leucine. And high-quality sources of protein include beef and bison and chicken and turkey. Eggs are a good source. Fish are a good source. It's very different than plant-based proteins. Which leads me to my next question. Um, yeah. plant, I know a lot of people are all about the plant-based diet yes. and also being in the beauty industry, that's very yes. like, prevalent. Yeah, totally, totally. So, talk to me, you know, they, they say that you can totally get your protein source from a, a plant-based diet. Talk to me about your thoughts. Yeah, and actually I do see this a lot in the beauty industry and also the actors and actresses that are in my practice. It's really interesting. They're right. You can get the essential amino acids from plants. However, the caloric intake that you need for optimizing body composition is devastating. For example, mm. for example, you need six cups of quinoa to equal one small chicken breast. Wow. So they're absolutely right. They can get the equivalent plant-based proteins, but the volume that you would have to eat if you're wanting whole foods is much higher. I mean, you could do a protein shake, a vegan protein shake, However, you'd really need to make sure that those amino acids are at the most optimal range because, you know, when you look at the back of a hemp protein shake, it'll say 30 grams, but because of the bioavailability and also the difference in amino acid quality, it's really your body only, quote, sees 15 grams. So it's really important. There's a big push for plant-based um, proteins, and it's really more of an ethical issue. It's not as... Uh, a health issue at all. It is, it is, you know, I trained in this for 17 years. One of my mentors is a world-leading protein expert. Mm -hmm. He's one of just the most well-respected scientists. And, you know, truly uh, the plant-based movement while is, um, you know, it has its nature in ethics is not better for health and it's not better for the environment. None of those are true. The, those statements are not true. I know if they want to learn more, you definitely give a lot of insights and details about that on your Instagram page and on totally. your Totally. And this is a very complex topic. So yeah. what I'm saying, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't take this lightly and I, I definitely don't think there's anything wrong with being vegan or vegetarian. Uh, but I think that it's very valuable that we say things in a way that are, that's truthful. So if it's an emotional bias where you just don't feel good about eating animal products, that's one thing. But if individuals are doing something based on health, I would say it's the single worst piece of advice I would ever give anyone. Yeah, that's totally true. And that's a very I, strong statement. It's a very strong statement to say that. Yeah. And also with you, with your background, I think you also competed, uh, you know, as like a uh, bodybuilder. So it's like for body composition, because I, again, going back to like the beauty industry, we're all about, oh my gosh, I want to lose. How come I can't lose that like last 10 pounds, yeah. or five, you know, last five pounds. And if you actually just did one thing and that's the corrected your protein intake, if you just want to lose the last three to five pounds, my challenge to you would be to increase your high quality protein. So it would actually be to decrease and swap out those plant-based proteins. You know, people say, oh, there's so many hormones and meats and, and animal-based products, but there's a million times more in a pea-based product oh, yeah, in estrogen activity. So if you really are wanting to lose that last three to five pounds, I would challenge you to actually increase your animal-based products and reduce your carbohydrates. I guarantee that number one, you'll feel better by your next meal. And number two, if you do this consistently, you'll find changes in body composition.
Also, I know that they, there's a myth that if you eat too much protein or especially beef, it's mm-hmm. going to affect like, you know, your high blood pressure, your arteries, because it's like high fat content, whatnot. And that's the reason people like tend to sway more and lean towards like the plant-based diet. Right. And I love that argument because it's totally a fallacy and a myth and <laughs> the randomized control trials. When you think about evidence and you think about the information, we live in information overload right now. Mm-hmm. So at the tip of your fingers, you have access to more information in the last two years than individuals have had in the last 100 years. So because of this, if you are not trained in being able to decipher the quality of the information, you become very much at risk to believing what you're told. And when you look at the hierarchy of evidence, which is how, as scientists and physicians, we would grade the quality of our recommendation, with the lowest quality evidence being epidemiology, which is I look at this information over a series of time, I do no intervention, but I make correlations. For example, in winter months, divorce rates go up in those people that eat butter, right? You would say, well, how is that correlated? That's the same kind of logic that people would say, oh, well, if you eat red meat, your risk of hypertension will go up. But the reality is, is that's epidemiology data. So the person that is having an increased blood pressure might be smoking cigarettes. They might also be drinking a bunch of alcohol. They're probably not exercising and they're over consuming. So you have this um, uh, multiple reasons as to why there would be an issue, but people will say, oh, no, it's, it's the red meat. And the evidence actually doesn't support it. And in fact, it is much easier to maintain body composition when you have an optimal protein diet. And there's randomized control trials like the BOLD study that support this, the Mediterranean diet, which is actually 20% protein, support these things. So again, it, it's, a, it's a narrative that is really used as a scare tactic because at the heart of the narrative is an anti-animal message. Mm -hmm. You know, and my job is to be a voice of reason in all this. I mean, I was vegan and vegetarian for a long time. Oh, same. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then once I started doing my research, I was like, you know, this makes sense. Yeah. You know, and I got really sick. So this was in my early 20s. I actually got really sick doing that. And vegan and vegetarian, they're two totally separate um, macronutrient profiles, Mm -hmm. right? And the quality of protein. But really at the heart of these questions and the heart of these myths is just a narrative. And it's dangerous. You know, I trained as a geriatrician, which means I took care of people um, that are dying at the end of their life. And if you tell people to go more plant-based in your 30s, by the time you're 60, you can't reverse sarcopenia, which is Mm -hmm. the loss of muscle mass and strength, right? You and your ability to survive COVID, your ability to survive a fall, your ability to survive cancer is directly related to your muscle mass. And the majority of the individuals that are just eating a plant-based diet, they're not optimizing muscle mass. Yeah. So it's interesting. And you said that like the older we get, the the more you know there's the wiser we get yeah (laughs) the wiser yeah i know aging well so we're all about you know discovering how to age well healthy ways of aging and you also mentioned that when we get older you know like we also there's an increase in muscle mass loss 
Yes. So what is the sarcopenia? Role? Yeah. The sarcopenia, yeah, the one mm-hmm. you mentioned. So what is like, um, how is it important that we do like what you mentioned up, you know, our protein intake? Also, I just want to delve into like how, you know, um, with the amino acids, they produce like glutathione. And I know mm-hmm. that that's like really great for, you know, um, treating fine lines and just an overall glow effect. So I think just like getting your thoughts about this and just, just the correlation of, you know, um, protein intake and aging. Well, it's very interesting. Protein is the most important macronutrient as you age. And it is this for a few reasons. Number one, protein protects your muscle. And if the listeners really wanted to do an actionable item, they would have a minimum of 30 grams of protein, which would be four or five ounces of animal-based product per meal. It's really important. So it's 30 grams of protein to really affect muscle tissue, and that's really the minimum. So you wanna protect the ability of your tissue to age well. And as we age, we, there's this process called anabolic resistance, which means that the tissue doesn't actually see isn't sensing the protein the way that it used to in your 20s. You actually have to adjust your eating patterns as you age to keep up with your changing internal milieu. So if you are typically a lower protein individual and maybe you'll have two eggs for breakfast or a little bit of Greek yogurt, if you are overweight, feel inflamed, have um, poor hormonal status, If you are at a sub-threshold amount of protein, which is below that 30 grams, you do your body a disservice because you actually don't stimulate muscle protein synthesis, which is simply your ability to begin to turn over and resynthesize, right? So the body is always going through this process of uh, an anabolic or growth phase and then a catabolic, quote, destruction phase. And it's the balance that really we have to think about as it relates to aging because you want to be in the more anabolic. You don't want to be breaking down your tissue. So the simple thing that the listeners could do would be to have that first meal of the day hit a minimum of 30 grams of protein. And that would be really ideal. And that would be chicken, uh, bison, beef. And people are like, that's so gross for breakfast. But (laughs) if you do this, by lunch, you'll feel better. If you do this by your next meal, you'll feel energized. Um, you'll notice that your blood sugar is stable. These are mm. simple ways to implement in your daily routine to be able to execute and really think about your longevity. And listen, as it relates to skin, hair, and nails, skin is all proteins, right? And if you want to age well, you want to have good texture. You want to have high quality muscle mass. I mean, because you know, when you see an athlete or someone who's lean, you've seen in their bone structure, you've seen in their face, they look incredible. Mm-hmm. And this is because they're optimizing body composition. They're also feeding their body the right nutrients. Um, for skin, what I think is really helpful is collagen. And I recommend two scoops twice a day. And the company I use is Bub's Collagen. Use that with a little bit of vitamin C. You can take 500 milligrams of vitamin C with it. And listen, I'm not your doctor, but these are some of the things that- (laughs) Thank you for the free tips. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, listen, it's not a good interview if if your listeners can't walk away with something actionable. Yeah. So I've already told them that they need to optimize their protein by having 30 grams of protein per meal, um, or at least at the first time that they're eating of the day. If they want their skin to look great as they age and just in general adding collagen. And listen- 
as it relates to evidence-based medicine, there's some evidence out there. I mean, the, the jury is still out in being able to look at collagen at, in randomized controlled trials, but what I have seen in clinical practice, that if you're increasing your collagen intake, with a little bit of um, vitamin C as well, I've seen it do tremendous amounts for people's skin and hair and texture. So that, that's just a tip. And then really making sure that your carbohydrates are in check because excess sugar, excess calories can be uh, cytotoxic. There's all these like organics, free range, um, grass-fed types of beef. Is it right. important that we choose those types of beef? I feel very, torn. I feel very torn about this question because I don't think that cost should be a barrier to entry. I feel that it's very expensive. And, you know, the majority of conventionally raised beef spend one third to two thirds of their life in pasture. People don't know that. So the majority of the cattle is actually raised in pasture. And then if it's conventional, then the rest, the rest one third of their life or so, then they go to a feedlot to go through rapid growth and whatever. So the first important thing that I would say is that um, having high quality protein is the most important. There are aspects, so if it's grass-fed, I, I don't really care. I'd rather you get it than not. Um, recently, people are saying, well, there's a higher amount of, um, quote, bad fats in the beef and the uh, chicken. And I would say that that's relatively insignificant compared to the vegetable oils and the processed foods. So it's all relative, mm-hmm. right? So it, it shouldn't be misleading. We have to really think, well, what is the relative amount of fat? How much fat are you getting in your chicken? Yeah, you know? or so the antibiotics, the, you know, that they, they have in there? It doesn't, it's not in the skeletal muscle by the time it comes to market. The guidelines from yeah. the USDA are very strict. So again, um, the, you know, it cannot have any traceable amounts of antibiotics. It cannot have any traceable amounts of hormones. So the mm-hmm. This is a very, it's a lot of false information. Um, So uh, it's just really important that, you know, there's a lot of farms that do great regenerative agriculture. And I think that that's very important, right? That's how we can do our best to help serve the environment. But as it relates to health, um, I would say having a high quality nutrient dense source of protein is much more valuable than making sure it's organic or grass fed because what are the metabolic implications if you choose not to do that? And then you decide to just have carbohydrates instead. You have to think five, 10 years down the line, what are those metabolic implications? The healthcare costs are going to be much higher. Right? I totally the, agree. Yeah. Right? So it's, it's, you have to think, what is the big picture? It's not this small little microcosm that we're living in. Yeah, yeah. It's like, what do you choose? Like a box of cereal for breakfast or like chicken, right? You know, totally. like, obviously, yeah. right? Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. Thanks for clearing that up. Because that's like, a, such a big debate, you know, like, everyone, they're so torn, like what you mentioned, like, when they're in the grocery store, they're like, Oh, my God, I think I have to pick grass fed, but then it's just really affecting their, their budget for the year. Their grocery right. budget. Mm-hmm. And it's just not sustainable for people. So I, I would recommend them to just have that high quality protein. There's a great new book out called Sacred Cow. And mm-hmm. Diana Rogers and Rob Wolf did a really good job as it relates to agriculture. And I think that that's a really important message and a valuable point. Um, so if your listeners are interested in really educating themselves on agriculture, that would be a way to do it. 
Yeah, that's amazing. So I know there's no one size fits all type of diet, but what would you recommend as like, you've already mentioned like a breakfast, like, you know, have chicken or something, mm-hmm. but what would like breakfast, lunch or dinner look like? Like really simple. And I know like carbohydrates could be very tricky. And you said just to like, you know, kind of minimize it, but to just make a balanced meal, would like rice be okay? Would a piece of sourdough bread be okay? Mm-hmm. This is another great question. The first step in optimizing your nutrition plan is determining how much protein that you need. And that could be anywhere from one gram per pound lean body mass or one gram per pound ideal body weight. So that's how I would really break down the protein and then consider 30 to 50 grams per meal. The next thing that you have to think about once you've determined your protein intake is your total calories. And thinking about what your total caloric intake in, a good way to do that is to track it for two weeks, see what you're eating. And there's a lot of nutrition calculators that people can use. Once you determine your total calorie intake, you then adjust. For me, I adjust carbohydrates. So anything over 50 grams of carbohydrates causes a robust insulin response. And that's really the hormone that people talk a lot about when it comes to diabetes and storing fat. So keeping your insulin levels low not, you know, um, medically too low, you know, you want to have insulin, but by not having that robust insulin response so that you're swinging um, with high levels of insulin and then low blood sugar is ideal. So really modifying your carbohydrate intake to 40 to 50 grams or less per meal is important. And for me personally, I recommend minimizing carbohydrates to really where you feel best and an individual will know. So I can do very well on no carbohydrates because for every 100 grams of protein I eat, I generate 60 grams of carbohydrates through the process of gluconeogenesis, just through the process of Mm. metabolizing protein. So the body actually doesn't have a necessary need for carbohydrates. It will actually make everything that it needs. But this is, again, based on balance and if people like polyphenols or they like their kale or they like certain things, then this is where you would add that in, just making sure that it's within number one calorie balance and number two, really within their body's capacity to manage that um, glucose insulin load. Mm -hmm. And you earn that with training. So if you want to have higher carbohydrates, you have to train harder. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So I know like the question of intermittent fasting actually comes into play here because you said like the first one of the first things you can do for your body is like have protein like in the morning. But um, I know as women, intermittent fasting is like a different story due to hormones and just like how we are made up compared to like how men can take it. Right. So yeah. um, do you think it's even necessary that, you know, we try intermittent fasting or it's more of uh, like a health like type of, you know, scenario where it also depends, but these are all, yeah. Yeah. And also like if you eat like chicken in the morning, I mean, you know, like, is that going to affect your like intermittent fasting or should we just like give up intermittent fasting or whatnot? (laughs) I think intermittent fasting is great. I use it in my clinical practice all the time. It's Mm -hmm. a tool and it's really great to, if you're going to use it to eat in a compressed eight to nine hour window, that's very Mm -hmm. valuable. And when you do that, you can start your first meal at 11, end it at 7, or eat from noon to 8. These are all really great strategies. I do think there's a place for intermittent fasting. Um, It allows for calorie control, number one. 
and you're not constantly feeding. It allows for bowel rest. It allows for circadian entrainment, you know, which is your essentially your body's rhythm. So you really keep it in a good rhythm. Um, so yeah, I think that intermittent fasting can be great and used as a tool. If an individual is wanting to get pregnant, I don't really recommend fasting because you have to liberate glucose from somewhere. And oftentimes when you're fasting or not eating, you do get an increase in cortisol. Mm -hmm. And um, if you are really looking for a lower stress kind of lifestyle or you're trying to conceive, intermittent fasting is not something I recommend. Oh yeah, that's interesting. So here at Hello Beauty, we have a philosophy and it's say hello to the beauty in you. What advice can you give to those who are trying to discover their beauty within? Spend some time being silent. There's a lot of noise and a lot of distraction. And if you do that, then you're, constant looking, you're constantly looking for something external as opposed to the internal validation. And it's interesting because the domains of social media have set us up to play into those deep fundamental human nature needs, right? Those pulls of comparison or not doing enough um, kind of the negative side of human behavior. So my advice would be to really be quiet and um, look outward less and inward more. Yeah, that's beautiful. So what is a day of Gabrielle I look like? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's pretty busy. Um, I'm very structured with my time. I have an infant. We have a 10-month-old and we've been in quarantine and my husband has been in medical school, so he was in the SEAL teams for a decade and then transitioned to wow. medical school. So, you know, typically we just traveled cross country, um, but typically we wake up an hour before the baby wakes up. So she wakes up either between six or seven. So we'll wake up between five and six to get up, to meditate. We plan our day the day before. Oh, nice. Do you guys meditate together? We do. Oh, we do. That's we meditate beautiful. together. Yeah. We plan our day the day before because we both have different things that we're trying to accomplish. I'm working on a book and a course and, and a lot of things. Mm. So having that um, structured and scheduled. So by nine o'clock I train. So from nine to ten I train. I have a working block from ten to depending two or three. And then that afternoon I spend with the baby. And then after the baby goes to bed, depending, I'll spend an hour with my husband or I'll go back to work. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. I think like having a good structure just like keeps like unnecessary stress at bay, you know? Yeah. yeah. And then you actually can complete the things that need to be completed, the high target value items on your list. Yeah, I totally agree. So what is your hair, skin, makeup routine, morning to night, quickly include products? Yep. Um, so I work with someone named Raquel Frisella, and I swear mm. by her. She has created some of the best products ever. Um, and I use, so I cleanse in the morning, and I have a cleanser from her, and I uh, put sunscreen on, and I use just a non-toxic sunscreen makeup. And then in the evening, I cleanse again, and I use a vitamin C serum. It's called a Glow C Serum. And um, I use that at night five days out of the week. And then I use a glycolic acid pad. It's called a glow pad. Mm -hmm. that, that works amazing. Um, and then in the morning, I forgot. So you moisturize and then there's a, a lipo. It's like a, it's on her website, but it's a kind yeah. of a fat emulsion cream and it works great. And then I'll use sun, uh, skin foods 
just mm. the green tube, really inexpensive, and I'll put it around my eyes and my face. Yeah, you have amazing skin and hair. So how do you do, like keep up with your hair? Do you yes, know, sir. Yeah, and it looks I good. Feel, I, I literally feel like the hair situation is the biggest waste of time ever, but I still do it. Um, you know, everything has been shut down. Mm-hmm. But I use Brazilian, it's like B3. I've been using something mm-hmm. called B3. And, you know, it's not a non-toxic product, but for hair, I just have not found stuff that I love. Yeah. Do you believe in those like biotin pills, you know, again, for like hair, skin? And yeah. Hair? So it depends. It really depends on what the deficiency is. That's a great question. So biotin has some pretty good research. Depends on what the deficiency is. I think having an optimal protein diet is the best thing that you're going to do for your hair, skin, and nails. I, you know, I've taken care of hundreds and hundreds of patients. And this is the consistent thing that I hear. Also, um, making sure that your thyroid is functioning well. Mm. And the collagen and vitamin C really helps. Also, the polyphenols. I use makia berry powder a lot. Mm-hmm. And you could just do a teaspoon twice a day. It's that rich polyphenol. Um, it's a deep purple. Works great. Uh, yeah. What is something exciting in store for you? I'm working on a book. Um, oh, yeah. So that, that's pretty exciting. I also am going to be launching a course. People can find about that on my website, uh, drgabriellelion.com. Be launching a protein course. So you can learn everything. And um, I have a, you know, I host workshops and all kinds of things. I have a great newsletter. They can also sign up on my website. And all this information is also on IG and that LinkedIn and a YouTube channel. So people should subscribe, like it. You guys will learn a lot. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's the reason why I really wanted to have you on. It's like amazing information that is not really talked about much in the beauty industry. And I really want to shed light into this. But hopefully, I mean, when your book is out, I'll love to have you on again. I would love it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And where can they find you and learn more about you? Yeah, so you can find me. I'm very active on Instagram at Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, L-Y-O-N. And then my website and YouTube and Twitter are all the same name. Okay. Thank you so much, Dr. Lyon. Yeah. Thank you for having me.